Hello, and welcome to Law, the Universe, and Everything. I'm your host, Pacifico Soldati. This show explores topics from law and business to consciousness, spirituality, and everything in between. We feature accomplished leaders across many fields to help you get more out of your life. You can learn more and stay up to date at theluepodcast.com. If you're not familiar with my background, I'm a helper, parent, marketer, attorney outlaw, certified mediator, story brand guide, omnist, yoga teacher, and a former paratrooper and award-winning army chef at the 82nd Airborne Division and U.S. Army Special Operations Command. I'm the founder and CEO of the Soldati Group, a marketing agency helping startups, small businesses, and law firms leverage the power of story to grow their businesses. Law, Universe, and Everything is a production of the Soldati Group. All opinions expressed by the hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of the Soldati Group or guest employers. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only, and these discussions do not constitute legal or investment advice. Today's episode is brought to you by Prosperitas, an animated video agency that can help you bring your company's ideas, values, products, and messages to life with the power of video storytelling. Whether you strive to win more customers, engage, or educate your audience, Prosperitas will craft each video specifically targeted to fit your brand and vision. Visit prosperitasagency.com today to learn more. That's P-R-O-S-P-E-R-I-T-A-S agency.com to find out how Prosperitas can create the best videos your company has ever had. My guest today is Bill Soroka. Bill helps new and experienced mobile notaries and loan signing agents build the business, income, and lifestyle they've always dreamed about by sharing the training, tools, and resources they need at notarycoach.com. Whoever said, love what you do and you'll never work a day in your whole life was speaking truth. Being a mobile notary and loan signing agent in the state of Arizona is one of the most fulfilling endeavors Bill has ever taken on. And as a serial entrepreneur, he has taken on a lot. He is a full-time active mobile notary and loan signing agent, and he loves to share that opportunity with others. He's created an in-depth training program called the Sign and Thrive Notary Course and Community by Notary Coach to help teach others how to start and grow themselves and a notary business. This is actually about a lot more than just knowing how to sign, date, initial, and stamp a document. As notaries public, they often meet people when they need them the most. Sometimes that's on the best day of their lives with wedding certificates, home purchases, or adopting children. On other days, though, we might meet people and families at hospitals, jails, hospice centers, or worse. It takes someone special to tap into empathy and compassion while striving to build a business with the power to change their lives. That's where Bill found his passion as a notary and business coach to thousands of students and subscribers across the country. His course dives deeper, tapping into the heart of the business and personal development to show people what it takes to become notary entrepreneurs, to grow and become who they need to be to succeed. Many people are blown away by the idea of a notary being able to build a multiple six-figure business. And this really has changed Bill's life and that of his family. They enjoy flexibility, thriving revenue, and all done in a business they can be proud of. You can learn more about Bill on YouTube at youtube.com slash notarycoach. And feel free to his, visit his websites at notarycoach.com and sidehustlelounge.com. Thank you so much for joining me today, Bill, and welcome to the show. Hey, Pacifico. Thank you so much for, for having me. That's a great intro and bio. I need to shorten that, I think. <laughs> oh, it's all good. 
Yeah, it's my pleasure. So tell me, I know you've been a you know, serial entrepreneur throughout your career, and how did you originally get started in entrepreneurship? Yeah, I have been, I think it's in my blood. I really, um, truly believe that. I remember being super young. I didn't need toy stores. I wanted office supply stores. I wanted to be a businessman. I had the giant like 1970s style insurance salesman briefcases, fake glasses, pens everywhere. I think it was just ingrained in me. I think I watched some people around me, like my grandmother on one side was a entrepreneur and had big dreams. And I used to watch TV and I just, I knew I wanted to be a business person and whatever that meant. So it started young. I had um, probably my first uh, couple of little side hustles or ventures through high school. And then finally in my early twenties is where I really started to work it and start to believe I could actually do it. Turns out I couldn't. <laughs> so then what was the journey like to then bring that into the notary field? Oh man. So I, I struggled a lot. I struggled with now they call it shiny object syndrome. Back then I just, I flitted from one idea to another. Anytime anything would start to get hard or worse, boring. I I'd just move on to the next thing with some excuse, like my business partner wasn't performing or the economy wasn't performing or whatever it might be. So I just bounced to the next one, to the next one, to the next one. And obviously never really got any uh, really great traction on that. And I had the results to match. At some point I had six or seven different little ventures going. All of them were, none of them were making money. I couldn't survive. I couldn't pay my bills. And I had a friend who said, Hey, become a notary public and I can pay you to be a loan signing agent for uh, my refinance files. And I can pay you $150 per appointment. And I was done and in and Arizona, it was super easy to do. And that was the first day that completely changed my life. Oh, wow. That sounds a pretty good deal. And those appointments aren't that long. So you can actually, you know, really up your hourly rate, I imagine. Yeah, they're um, with a, you know, with a loan, a mortgage package, it takes 45 minutes to an hour and a half sometimes, but there was no way anybody else was going to pay me 150 bucks an hour without a college degree. Like that was not happening. So I jumped in all the way. I disrespected this business in the beginning because I still had all these other dreams, hoping that one of these other um, businesses would take off. So I just treated this like an ATM machine sometimes and I burned some bridges and made a lot of mistakes. And finally, when all those other businesses collapsed around me, it was a super depressing time in my life. I was really, my confidence was down, but I had one business left standing. And I remember my friend Jamie, we were at a bar for beer bust on a Sunday and I was just talking about where I was going to go and what I was going to do next. And I was starting to get my head together because I was doing the miracle morning stuff. And she said, Bill, you've got this notary business. It's still here. It's you're still making a little bit of money with it. What if you took all those lessons you learned and applied it to this business? And that was like a light bulb moment for me. And I was like, holy shit, that's what I need to do. So I, uh, that's exactly what I did. I started creating what I call my daily dues, the things I would need to do every day to create massive revenue and freedom and started implementing and this business just took off for me. Wow. And so I guess it sounds maybe like you went from more of a traditional notary role into a mobile notary. 
Yeah, I was. I started as a mobile notary. That's you know that's been around forever. Mobile notary and loan signing agent for the mortgage industry. But this is a ancient industry, right? That's what I I love about it. It was a, a notary pub public. Depending on your source, has been around for thousands of years. People need them. Our society needs them. We play a critical role in fraud pre fraud prevention and ID theft prevention. So it's that got this legitimacy to it. It's old fashioned, meaning like I just work and I get paid. There's no BS with it. So I really started to appreciate that. But what it was, it, it was antiquated. It's still antiquated in many ways. So I had all this business experience, even if some of those businesses failed, most of them did, 26 of them did. And I started taking the lessons I learned and then the things that did work. And I applied it to this ancient industry. And it just soared through the roof because this is a relationship-based business. So I just practiced relationship skills. I implemented simple things into the, my daily practice. And it just, it wasn't done at the time to the, the scale that it is today. So I got re, uh, massive results because of that. So how has technology changed how you've done this job since its inception? And then how do you see it changing this industry over the next decade or so? Yeah, there's, it's so cool because I think when you think Notary Public, it, it conjures up this image of just this little lady at the bank with a stamp and a pen, and that's all that being a Notary Public is. And the stamp and the pen is critical to our, our work, of course, but now there's this whole underlying industry of software, smartphone apps, technology platforms that cater to the notary industry. And because we're, we're a spinoff of the legal, spinoff of the real estate industry. So it's all there. And we have bookkeeping apps. We have mileage apps. We have platforms that build relationships with these hiring companies and then send it out, send out their orders to notaries, thousands of us. There's four and a half million notaries in the country, by the way. So this is a huge kind of under the radar wow. industry. It's massive. And technology is changing. It's evolving. Like right now, there's remote online notarization that's sweeping the country by storm right now. I'm not overly excited about it, but still, there's huge opportunity there. It's a wave of a, a new innovation. So I think it's got some pitfalls and stuff, but it's going to be interesting to see where it goes. How do you possibly see like actual human notaries still having a place in society when platforms like that come to be like is it going to augment is it going to be a tool that they use or do you think notaries eventually will just get phased out or do people still want the human side oh yeah so great question i think there's always first let's just go to the technology there is always going to be a human notary at the other side of the technology right there's a human being on one side that needs something notarized and whether there's a computer screen in front of them and a camera or they're sitting in front of them, a notary public still has to do this work. That part is not automated. If that's ever automated, I think that's probably hundreds of years down the road. So still, there's the need for a notary public. It just depends on whether you're sitting in front of the customer or at the other end of a camera. But then there's this whole, I think this is even a, a kind of a full circle trend. I'm sure you've seen it Pacifico and other industries too is people, the technology changes, people get really excited about it, but then they miss the human connection, especially on things that matter, your estate planning documents or your mortgage documents, where there's a lot of information and there's a lot at stake. This human connection and this one-on-one -on -one 
uh, experience still really valuable to a lot of people. And I think that's going to keep us around forever. And so when you say there needs to be a human notary on the other end of this technology, is that because of just a continuing legal requirement? Is getting rid of human notaries actually downstream of changing laws around notaries? When you think about the fundamental purpose of a notary public, it is to verify the identity of the person who is signing the document. A lot of times we are witnessing, watching them sign the document, making sure that they have a general understanding of what the document is and that they're signing it of their own free will. Really difficult to do that with technology. Mm. So in order to eliminate the notary, you'd have to eliminate the need for notarization. And again, because of the prevalence and even rise in fraud uh, across all industries, I don't see that happening. Interesting. So tell me a little bit about your work at Side Hustle Lounge. Yeah, that's something I'm really excited about. The Side Hustle Lounge is a podcast. We get to talk about legitimate business opportunities, the mindset it takes to make those a success. And then, of course, the reasons why we work so hard around, and I center those conversations usually around adventure and lifestyle, because that's what why I work so hard. That's why I hustle so hard, so I can do cool things with people I love. Not nothing better. I know. I know. <laughs> and with side hustles, too, I think we're in this, I, I don't know if you've seen the news le- lately, Pacifico, with this, I think they're calling it the mass resignation. Mm-hmm. I think last year, people are getting a taste for what life is like outside the cubicle or the office. And I think it sparked a renewed interest. There was this huge interest and push towards this, like back in what, 2004, 2005, or was it 2007 with Tim Ferriss, mm-hmm. uh, Ralph Potts, Greg Rogers, doing this vagabond, vagabonding lifestyle. And then we fell back into uh, the corporate world. But now things, people are leaving their jobs. They don't want to work at home. and I think there's so much opportunity as I'm interviewing uh, people for this podcast. It just blows me away how much opportunity there is to create a sustainable income and lifestyle working for yourself, doing all kinds of weird stuff. And no Republic is one of them. (laughs) Definitely. So tell me, how has a failure or an apparent failure set you up for later success? And do you have a favorite failure? Favorite failure. I love it. So here's the realization that I had. And it was just a few years ago as I was still processing my, my failures. I learned to embrace them all. So I would say all of them were critically important to molding me and helping me create or become who I am today. I had that realization and my theme word, every year I choose a theme word for where I'm at and where my mindset is, whether I need to sit back and focus on gratitude or introspection or focus on what's next, what's coming up in the next year, whatever it might be. The, the word was culmination. Like all of these experiences in the moment were horrendous. And I remember after 26 business failures, your friends and your support system, they get exhausted too. It is exhausting to have uh, a friend or like me who has idea after idea that just doesn't gain traction. They're trying to be loving. They're trying to be supportive, but that's geez, man, just go get a job or something. So I had all of this shame that kept coming with all of these different failures. 
So what in the moment I would, I'd shut down for weeks or months at a time. I wouldn't answer my calls. If I had a job to help pay the bills, I usually lost it. I was just went through this depressive cycle. In fact, I thought I might be manic depressive at some point because I was just up and down with this shame cycle. And then finally I started to embrace that every one of these, I like when I would remember, Oh yeah. You remember when you started that ring company on Facebook and you didn't pay for advertising or you paid thousands of dollars for advertising and didn't get one single sale. Remember that? Here's how we're going to do that differently in this business. And all of those different moments helped me be so much better at this. And the biggest lesson of it all is that I didn't, I couldn't do it by myself. I needed coach, a coach. I needed a execution plan. I was terrible at execution, really great at accumulating information. I had all the books. I went to all the courses, workshops, everything. I used to spend my rent money on a seminar, but then I would just not execute or implement what I learned. So the biggest lesson was to get a freaking coach. And now I have five coaches. Oh, very nice. It's a good support system. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it relieves the pressure, right? It's not all on me. It is all on me, but now I have people I can bounce ideas off of. I know that I can hire specific coaches. Now I've got a much more resources. I make a lot more money now than I ever did with 26 failed businesses. So now I can say, all right, I need a copywriting coach. All right, I'm going to go out and hire Ray Edwards and I'm going to learn from the best and I'm going to be a, get his copywriting style. Okay. Now I need to learn Facebook ads. So I'm going to go and I'm going to buy this course and I'm going to get the private coaching that comes with it. And I'm going to learn how to do Facebook ads, whatever it is. Now I realize the value of a good coach and a good course and execution. So before you were able to like afford all targeted coaches, and everything for each specific area, how were you finding mentors and advisors previously? So I, I think my definition of a mentor and advisor in the beginning when I was broke was books and resources on YouTube. That's how I initially started. Like when all these businesses collapsed, they all had it collapsed at the same time. I was, I broke up from a relationship. So I was literally just down in the gutter and I did a, what I call a results inventory by myself in a bottle of vodka over Thanksgiving weekend. I told my family that I was in different places. So they didn't worry about me or check up on me. And I just hold up in this, in my apartment that I couldn't pay for. I had no money, no resources. And I just started going through YouTube and said, I can figure this out. I got to figure this out. So my first real mentors in this were those like Brendan Burchard, Tony Robbins a little bit as well, but he's pretty old school and I had read and seen everything, but Brendan Burchard added a fresh twist. And as I went down that path, I got introduced to BJ Fogg and Tiny Habits and I started implementing super tiny habits, like picking up my shoes from the floor, like super ridiculous, tiny things that ended up changing everything. And then that's where I met Hal Elrod, I started reading the Miracle Morning. And that was a 9.99 book on Kindle. So I could splurge and I could do that and I could read that. Those were my mentors to help get my head out of my rear end, get it back on straight so I could make some decisions and build some confidence again to move forward. So what would you say is one of the best or most worthwhile investments you've ever made? And feel free to interpret the word investments as broadly as you like. Good question. 
I would say that finding a, a good business coach that also was a licensed therapist really helped clear the baggage. And she happened to be a Enneagram coach too. And I don't know if you're familiar with the Enneagram or not, Pacifico. Mm -hmm. Are you? Yeah, like a little bit. It's little bit. it's not been something I've delved into, but I do have a pretty big network of people who are like hardcore about it and swear <laughs> by it. So yeah, it it blew my mind first, just realizing that who I am. I'm a number seven on the Enneagram, which is the enthusiast. We like yeah. lots of ideas. We love getting people excited about stuff, and we don't like deep, hard feelings, like the negative feelings. We like to skip right over that. So when I realized that was just part of who I was and there was nothing wrong with me, I learned to where my to go with my some of my weaknesses. So I would say the best investment I've ever made, and I give her credit for moving me forward uh, much faster than I think I obviously would have done on my own, I was hiring that business coach that was also a licensed therapist because there's some deep shit going on there sometimes. <laughs> and she focused on the Enneagram. Very interesting. Yeah. So what advice would you give to a smart, driven high school or college graduate that's about to enter the real world? And is there any advice you think they should ignore? <laughs> it's, okay. So I really not a huge fan of the traditional education system and the thought process behind going into so much debt to go and get a job so you can work 20, 30, 40 years to retire. I know that it can be done differently. And I th really think that there's some things that you can do in high school that would start preparing you differently. You could start your first business in high school. What's not taught in school that I think should be taught in school. And if it's not taught in school, take responsibility for your own education. Don't count on government education to learn what you need to learn to really succeed in this step out of the box and take responsibility for that schedule it on your own. And that would be financial education, learning how money works, but then most importantly, and I think if you do this, the money will follow is learn uh, about emotional intelligence, how to get along with other people and how to get along with yourself because that voice in your head will change everything. Mm, absolutely. That's great advice. So tell me, what are one to three books that have greatly influenced your life? I have to give total credit to The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod first and foremost, only because I measure my life before Miracle Morning and after Miracle Morning. And doing those six practices he talks about, the meditation, visualization, affirmations, exercise, reading, and journaling every single day helped pull me out of that dark space I was in, gave me the confidence to keep going. And I still do it to this day. And I think it's wow. been seven or eight years since I've discovered that. So it's been life-changing for me. So that would be number one. Number two, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. I still, I try to read that at least once a year, all about the power of the present moment uh, and what you can do with that. And then I'm a huge reader, by the way. So I read uh, probably 50 to 80 books a year. So I have a, a, quite a few of them, but I will go with, if you wanted to go an introductory book to success would be Jack Canfield's 
success principles. Have you read any of those? I have not. I've read a bit of Eckhart Tolle like here and there, but I still got the power of now sitting on the shelf ready to like get a once through and everything. Oh, it's such a deep read, Pacifico. Like I, I usually like to read pretty fast to get through it, but that book, that's one page at a time. And then I got to stop and process. That's why I almost didn't read it the first time, but I'm so glad I did. What's your three favorite books? Oh, one that's been, first I would say the Celestine Prophecy was something I read during college that my college girlfriend was into. And she's like, you need to read this and totally blew my mind. And then it made the rounds of our college friends. And just, it was just like a continual series of people having their minds blown. It's really interesting because I think it's the only book I've ever read where you can fundamentally think the entire thing is total bullshit and not agree with anything. And yet it will fundamentally alter the way that you look at the world, right? Like anytime you experience a coincidence or any of the other things that are talked about in the book, um, it just rewires your brain that you'll look at that in a different way. And it, then it just starts to make you question things a bit. So I think totally. that's a great one. Another book that completely ripped my mind open this year and made me kind of reassess pretty much everything is a book called Many Lives, Many Masters by Dr. Brian Weiss. And he's a Yale School of Medicine educated psychiatrist and hypnotherapist. And he basically back, the book is based on the account of a patient he had back in 1980. It was like crazy when I discovered this book, how old it is. And he was basically doing a hypnotherapy regression to this woman's childhood. She like had some like abuse or something. And he was like, she just had all these different issues. And so he's trying to go back and figure out what the issues are. And he, he regresses her to like the age of three and it's like nothing there. And he's like, okay, maybe the age of two. There's nothing there. He's okay, fine. Just go back to whenever it was. And she then starts to describe an experience that is like clearly not her current life. And after going through this like traumatic experience she'd had in a past life, she ends up in this in-between place. And he basically starts to have messages channeled through his patient about things in his life of which she could have absolutely no knowledge. Like he had a son die in infancy because his heart was backwards when he was born. They tried like heart surgery, bring him back, like nothing worked. And so there was all these details that this patient just starts revealing from some like higher source, which he eventually introduces themselves as the masters. And to me, I had gotten to a place through my own spiritual and psychedelic journey of the exploration of consciousness where I thought that our individuated experience was just like being humans and that as souls, it was more of a collective mass of energy. And the book really makes a very strong case for individuated souls perpetuating and makes a really, I think, solid case for reincarnation and also brings up a lot of things that I think are otherwise unexplainable, like Mm -hmm. xenoglossy, like when children are born with the ability to speak foreign languages that they've never been exposed to. So I think that would be, that was like a book that I was just like, oh my God, it like completely reset so much, so much for me. And then you are um, giving me chills. I'm going to look that up. I love, yeah. I love that stuff because it is unexplained. Like I've been reading these mm-hmm. stories about these kids 
like in India, that that boy who's born into a family and he's got birthmarks from bullet holes from a previous life, and he remembers mm-hmm. his wife's name. He remember his his mm-hmm. dad's name from this other family. Like, how do you explain that? Oh yeah, it's crazy because to me, it's children are like the closest thing to source, right? So there's kids that are born and they like still remember their past lives, and yeah, yeah there's been doctors that have just researched thousands and thousands of children, and it's like, okay if you just accept that like reincarnation is an objective fact all of this just falls into line like it's super everything makes sense and so to me it's just like the occam's razor of it whereas like a lot of people are just like oh no it's this or that or it's a parlor trick and it's not and then you have stuff like evidential mediums right there's plenty of charlatans in the psychic and medium industry it just lends itself to that but when you look at someone who's evidence-based you're not they're not cold reading you you just go in they're like oh bill we were just talking to sandy that's your grandmother whatever it is like there's definitely 10 to 20 percent of people that have like incredible like psychic medium level powers i think everyone has their own spiritual powers you just have to figure out exactly what it is and how to build those yeah but with brian weiss's book i had never the crazy thing was after i read i devoured the first book in a day went out and then he has another book called uh, messages from the masters so i was like oh i gotta read that one and then <laughs> devour that one in a day and then i went out and i got three more of his most prominent books and had finished five of his books within a week and i'd never ever done that with any author but i was literally just i have to read everything this man has put out there mm-hmm. and it just yeah inside a week it was like years worth of psychedelic experimentation and introspection and meditation just like completely blown up and making me reassess everything it was it was pretty wild and then i guess a third one i'd throw i don't read much fiction anymore but i'd have to say tale of two cities was like always my favorite fiction book growing up and they just don't write them like that anymore do they no they sure don't (laughs) I've, i've given up on most fiction for sure but i I think Les Miserables would be mine if I had to pick mm. one. Oh, Amazing classic. Book. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was obsessed as a kid and going to see it on Broadway and just having yeah. the soundtrack. Oh, we were always singing that in my house. I was always on. <laughs> I love it. Awesome. Awesome. I, I'm really intrigued by that. And I wanted to just ask you about the Celestine Prophecy because what that mm-hmm. book did for me was it made me notice synchronicity. Yeah. And now I see it. And I read that book probably in the early 2000s, and I still, that's the impact of that book. I still yeah. see synchronicity everywhere. Oh, yeah. Every doppelganger I see, <laughs> every coincidence, everything. And you're just like, oh, interesting. Oh, and just getting better at figuring out like how to see signs from the universe and like what you're looking out for. And um, yeah, I think that was something, yeah, it just takes everyone to like a common level of understanding of, hey, there can be like meaning in here and, and figure out. And I love the sort of thing of, yeah, if you see a doppelganger, it means you're supposed to reach out to the person the doppelganger reminds you of and stuff. And I, I think that's a really cool like manifestation of the universe, like directing you to something else in the universe. And I actually saw this, I've talked about it with a couple of people, I think on here, and I saw this awesome TikTok. I'm going to forget her name. I always forget her name. But um, this woman, I think it was like back in February, I had just left my last job and started my own company and I was just like oh this is like the right thing to do and I saw this TikTok and shoot this woman was like hey if you want a sign from the universe you actually have to specify how you want your sign to be delivered because otherwise you're just gonna have a bunch of signs sent your way and you're not gonna be able to discern what's actually a sign and what's not Mm -hmm. 
And so she said, I love rainbows. So I told the universe, like, show me rainbows if I'm on the right track and if I'm doing what I need to be doing. And so it could be like a real rainbow, it could be like a patch, a sticker, whatever. And so for me, I was like, oh, this is really interesting. And, and I was like in my living room, I'm like, I have rainbow curtains. So that would be cheating because I would just be like, yes, I'm on the right track like every day. So <laughs> I then, like, what could it be? So I was like, what's a thing I could see, but I don't see normally. And so I was like, what about white feathers? I was like, okay. So I was like, all right, universe, like if I'm on the right track, like just show me a white feather. And so then, you know, I'd occasionally see him like walking my dog or something and whatever I was like thinking about, I'd be like, I'd see one of like, oh, cool. Okay. It's like nice little like positive reinforcement. And one day I took my kids to this park that we had never been to before. That's one of the biggest parks in Phoenix. And they were just like, oh, can we go to this park? I'm like, okay, sure. And we get there and I'm just, they're like, it's so big that it's a quarter mile walk from the parking lot just to find like the first playground. And so we're walking through and they're just like running off ahead of me. And I'm just up in my head, just, oh, am I doing the right thing? Should I have started my own business? And is this what I need to do? And as I'm like fretting over all this, I walk over this one hill. And as I crest the hill, I just start laughing because on the other side of the hill, the giant field that looks like it just hosted like the world's largest pillow fight. There's just <laughs> thousands and thousands of white feathers as far as I could see it looked like there was like a dove massacre or something fed all the blood <laughs> and I was just like holy shit and I was like that is a hell of a sign and it's hard to argue uh, with that yeah yeah it was pretty wild and then there was uh, a time yeah like this summer recently I had another sort of moment like that I was like on vacation back home and took my kids to a zoo I used to go to as a kid and we get out to this one area where you're gonna feed some ducks and stuff and all of a sudden, yeah, just hundreds of white feathers everywhere. So I was like, okay, cool. And yeah, it's been really, it's been really interesting. And so I just tell people like, yeah, be intentional. Just ask for th something that's your, going to be your thing. And that's how you'll get your messages and just figuring out how the universe can communicate with you, whether it's through one thing you ask for, whether it's through your dreams, whether it's through coincidences, whether it's numbers, music, there's all sorts of different ways that you can communicate with the universe. And it's really just figuring out how can you decipher different things. And I think I, that's such the perfect word for it, decipher. I use, I still, I get so frustrated. I'm like, damn it, universe, just speak English. Tell me what I'm supposed to do here. What the <laughs> message is. My most clear message I ever got from him, though, is it came in like 2015. I can't even say it's the most clear because I've had some weird messages. But this one, I owned a, a poker company, like a free poker tour, where we have free poker tournaments in bars and restaurants. And I owned it for 10 years. I loved it. I met so many people. We had so much fun, but it never made money for me. And it was a huge energy suck. It took a lot of time and resources, but never, I couldn't live on it. Uh, so one day I was traveling to Albuquerque and I just, I was reading the, the intention experiment. I don't know if you've read that one yet, but it, it lays this out and I'm exactly how to ask the universe for something. So I just said, all right, today universe I need a sign. Am I going to continue with poker? Am I going to take it national? Am I going to put all of this time into it? Or do I need to fold this up and let it go? And that night, for the first time in its 10-year history, not a single player showed up for poker at the venue we had in Phoenix. Wow. Normally, normally, we get 30, 50, sometimes 100 players, right? Not a single person showed up. On that night and i'm like oh. so the next morning i was like okay <laughs> I, I literally called all the bars i said guys we're wrapping it up this is going to be our last 30 days 
because that was crystal clear sign for me. Wow. That's so cool. <laughs> I you love know. that. I know. Me too. I, I wish it was all the messages were that clear. Real quick, because I forgot about the doppelganger stuff, Pacifico. Interestingly, just this week, I have three times where I'm the doppelganger. I've had three strangers walk up to me, talking to me like they know me, and just telling me, like yesterday I was at um, my favorite restaurant, and a waitress, I, most of the waitresses know me there, but she didn't. She just walked up to me, and she's, oh, yeah, Tom's coming back. He's going to be fine tomorrow. And I'm like, well, that's great to know, but who's Tom? <laughs> she's oh my gosh you're not who i thought you were and that happened three other or two other times in the last seven days if you're the doppelganger does celestine prophecy talk about that i don't think so because it's really all about that first person experience of hey if you see if you pass by someone and it reminds you of someone from your past go get in it's that person from the past uh -huh. that like needs you or something like that but it's so it's, it never really talks about like the doppelganger who is the sign and what they should do or how they should treat it. Because I think a lot of times it's not so much that you talk to this person. It's just like you could literally just be driving and like, see this person in traffic or something. Right. But that is fascinating because the same thing has happened to me too. And for a long time, especially since like my beautiful hair started falling out and I just went to shaved head 24-7, 365. I look at myself as I'm just like, just like a plain mold for a white person, just like a, a Lego person. There's to me, I don't know. It's hard to assess like how unique do people think they, they look? Cause I think I just look like as plain as can be. And so when people are like, oh, I know someone who looks like you, I'm like, yeah, just like a, a white person. Cool. We all look alike or whatever. And so for me, it's always interesting. Cause like I've gotten that. I used to get it. I first started getting it in college. And people, oh my God. Like I know someone who looks just like you. And then I'd meet them and I'd be like, this person doesn't look like me. I don't look like and all. yeah. And then eventually like I would have it happen more and more. And now I think it's something like at least every month. I think someone's, oh, this right. Or like, I'll remind someone of their dead friend. Or and so then people have this weird spiritual attraction to me because I'm like reminding them of a dead friend or something. And you're just like, man, that's pretty heavy responsibility. <laughs> like, yeah, I, don't know yeah. to, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that, but they're doing all right. I don't know. <laughs> it's just like, cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. Like playing that kind of just like random role in someone's life because then it is, yeah, you could be the thing that like sets something off for someone right like they see you and they're like oh my god you look like my high school boyfriend i need to get in touch and then we rekindle a relationship or who knows what happens and yeah i think there is like an, an honor to be playing that like sign from the universe role but i don't know how much beyond that like we're there to do or can interfere in that or something right yeah that's an interesting thing to think about it might be a fun side hustle just like an angel <laughs> Yeah, there you go. The angel side hustle. Right. Very nice. <laughs> doesn't pay very well, but it sure is fun. Oh, totally. <laughs> so, Bill, if you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say and why? Holy cow, that's... Now I, I feel like I have to say something really profound. <laughs> It's just um, a billboard. <laughs> it's a billboard. Let's see. What I would say is that without being overly cheesy, I think it would say, be kind to yourself. I think if you be kind to yourself, and this is a, a lesson I've had to learn the hard way because my inner critic's a real bitch. But when I'm kinder to myself, I can be kinder to others. And I think that's a good place to start. Mm. Oh, absolutely.
Yeah, when you said billboard, I was like, oh, I think you're like the first like person named Bill I've asked this question to. And then I just started <laughs> thinking of like, oh, what if it was just like Dave board? Or just, you know, just like some, obviously there's double meeting, but I'm just like, oh, yeah. it's just a person's name. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I have billboards everywhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All my boards are billboards, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, great so question. So tell me, who've been some of your heroes throughout your life and how have they helped or inspired you? I'll say that my mom has been a huge inspiration for me. Just the focus and attention she gave us as kids, putting off her own dreams. And then as we got older, going to college to pursue her dream of being a teacher. And then through the divorce, working three jobs and going to school to make sure we were taken care of. That's always been an inspiration for me. And she went on to do really great things in education as well. That kind of drive has inspired me. I think I, I probably took it to excess a little bit and forgot to slow down for a lot, many times in my life. But I, I just love that she, her vision to make something happen and then actually making it happen. Outside of the family unit, it's so funny, but Oprah has been inspiring me since I, I used to r race home. Like I think we got out of school at 2.30. And I must have been in first grade or second grade in the, sometime in the 80s. And I would try to catch her show at three o'clock. There's something about her that I was attracted to even back then. And watching her grow and progress and do the things that she's done and inspire the millions that she has, I find extremely inspirational. Mm. And then, of course, I'm on the default to Hal Elrod as well. He has an amazing story from the brink of death onto impacting as many lives as he has through uh, books and his podcast as well. What I've decided, I used to think that I wanted to be a huge influencer like Oprah, have a television show or do those kinds of things. And what I've learned is that's not what I want to do. I can love things from afar, but I don't have to do them. That's been a, a huge lesson for me and a much more behind the scenes kind of guy. I'm severely severe introvert and I love being an introvert. I've grown into my introversion and I love it and I don't want to change it. I'm really comfortable here and it's, it deepens many relationships and I've learned to honor it now. So I just want to travel the world, meet interesting people, have a few beers and write books that touch, move and inspire people. Oh, that's awesome. Bill, this has been such a fun and fascinating conversation, but that does bring me to my final question of the day. And that is, what is the kindest thing anyone has ever done for you? I feel like I am, I get rained on by kindness every day. So this is a really tough Tough question for me. And I think I'm going to say, uh, I'll do a blanket kindness because in the beginning or a blanket statement, but in the beginning, I talked about how difficult it is to be a friend or a lover of somebody who, like me, who is bouncing around trying to figure out who they are in this world. And to continue to love them and support me, love and support me during that time, I think was the greatest act of kindness. And I'm blessed to say that 
I've got a, a nice core group, including my family that did and my friends that did that for me. So I'm really grateful for that. Oh, it's beautiful. What more can you ask for? Exactly. Thank you so much for joining me today, Bill. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to speak with you today. Likewise, Pacifico. I really appreciate it. Thanks for blowing my mind a little bit, giving me the chance. <laughs> I'm going to take a look at those books. This has been great. Yeah, absolutely. Today's episode was brought to you by Prosperitas, specializing in making stunning animated videos to help you win more customers and look your best online. Visit prosperitasagency.com today to learn how they create unforgettable videos for unforgettable companies. Thank you so much to all of our listeners for tuning in to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you found us so that others can find it as well. And follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at the LUE Podcast or visit our website at theluepodcast.com. And if you'd like to support this show even further, I'd love to invite you to become a patron of the show. For as little as $5 per month, you can help us continue to produce high-quality shows with amazing guests like you heard today. To become a patron, please visit patreon.com slash the LUE podcast. We look forward to having you tune in next time for the next episode of Law, the Universe, and Everything. I'm Pacifico Soldati, wishing you peace, love, and awesomeness. Mm-hmm.